Hey weirdos, I'm Hannah Sainty and welcome to the Your Weird Podcast, the place that talks to creatives, artists and people living their best lives about how they do what they do, why they do what they do and how being a bit weird is a superpower. If robots are taking all our jobs, we better figure out how to harness the one thing that they can't do, be creative. Enjoy the show. Hello weirdos, welcome to another episode of the Your Weird Podcast. Today I am diving into a very particular resistance, one of which is very close to me actually. I want to dive into perfectionism. You know, just that concept of everything that you do, you will find something wrong with it. It doesn't matter how good it is or how much you've progressed in whatever it is you're trying to do, it simply isn't good enough. And then you decide that you're embarrassed by it you're ashamed of it, you're frustrated by it, whatever it is, it just stops you from sharing it and it stops you from pursuing it and sometimes it can stop you from even trying again. This is something that I've experienced a lot through my creative journey and the funny thing is is that my response to that was to do more. So when I started comedy, perfectionism isn't really good for comedy And that's why I sort of fell in love with it a little bit more, I think, because with comedy, you have to write something. And when you are booked to go on stage, you got to just go up there and you got to do it. So there isn't any room for you to keep continuously trying to perfect it. I gave myself a deadline and I continuously do. So when I'm booked, I got to get up, I got to get up. And by doing that, I have whittled down my perfectionism to something that I can observe and use as a motivator rather than something that is disruptive and ultimately detrimental to my creative work and my creative venture. So this concept of perfectionism, obviously from my own experiencing it a lot and chatting to a lot of other creatives who have also experienced the same thing, I thought this is definitely a topic I have to nail on the head really specifically. So my guest today is a wonderful woman named Alison Shamir. She's an imposter syndrome expert and she's an international speaker, a certified coach and a media contributor. Through her work, Alison empowers global organizations, teams and individuals with the knowledge, tools and methods grounded in science they need to overcome imposter syndrome and present and perform as their most confident selves. Alison is also a proud member of the LGBTQIA community, passionate about diversity, equity and inclusion, and has held leadership roles across the technological and media sectors. She combines both lived experience and professional expertise to help her clients make transformative change. What an absolute powerhouse of a statement woman she is. And we had this incredible, credible chat. I feel so honoured and so proud that I got to have this opportunity to speak so um, candidly with her about her knowledge, her expertise, but also about her experience with perfectionism, imposter syndrome, and also uh, workplace bullying. We do go into a little bit of that and how that can kind of uh, sort of push your perfectionism to be even more debilitating and also just detrimental to to your creative work. So our chat went for a really long time. It was beautiful. We chat for well beyond the recording time. And I know we spoke about a lot of things that I definitely want to get it back on the show for us to discuss them further. So keep an eye out for that. And just know that, you know, I'm going to obviously have all of her details in the show notes and go follow her, go check out her work. If you ever have the opportunity to see her speak, I do really recommend it. And just know that the work that she's doing is really important. It's really important for you. It's really important for me. It's really important for all of us to overcome these sorts of resistances so we can just get out of our own way and make some cool stuff that's going to make other people feel happy, empowered, and, you know, ultimately make some change because I'm Artists are the one that change the world. So go you. 
I hope you feel empowered by this episode and remember that you're not the only one that feels perfectionism and you can move on from it. You've just got to let the shackles go. Now, I know that I still feel perfectionism myself and I'm very aware of it and I'm constantly trying to transform it and I am, which I'm really proud of, but it does still catch me out. So you just got to accept that sometimes the resistances may dip and peak in their strength. It's that old theory of, you know, you can jump off the wagon, but you've just got to climb back up on it again. Okay, I'm really excited for you to listen into this. Please, as always, let me know what you think of the episode. Go and follow Alison Shamir. Please support the podcast. Jump onto the Patreon. It's those sorts of things that can help me bring more content to you. And ultimately, just remember that you got to stay weird because being normal is genuinely really boring. Thank you so much for coming on to the Your Weird podcast, Alison. My pleasure, Hannah. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, I'm so happy to have you. I found your work online when I was trying to find someone who had an interest and an expertise in imposter syndrome and in perfectionism. And I was so elated to come across your profile. You've done so much incredible work that I'm astounded by. And you've spoken in so many places and you have such a really good, strong voice for women as well, which I really appreciate. Oh, no, thank you. And I will take the compliment. So thank you for the kind, <laughs> which which I can do because I've overcome my own um, imposter syndrome and perfectionist tendencies as well. But no, thank you very much for the kind invitation and for your interest in my work and for having me here, speaking to you, speaking to your audience. These topics are so important. So thank you for creating this space for me and for us to have this conversation. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. It's amazing to hear, you know, someone speaking about how they've overcome imposter syndrome and perfectionism, because Mm. I know we've spoken briefly before and I mentioned to you that I'm still experiencing perfectionism a lot, which comedy is helping me to move through. Mm -hmm. And, but that doesn't work for everyone. So before we go on, I'd like to get, just for the people who may not really know what they're experiencing or really understand maybe someone who's in their life who's experiencing it, what is impo- what is perfectionism and how does it relate to imposter syndrome as well? Yeah, sure. Great question to kick off. And I just want to touch on something quickly first that you said, because, you know, you're working through or have moved through your own um, perfectionism or perfectionist tendencies through comedy. And just quickly on my experience. So as a recovered perfectionist, which is something I'll share throughout this conversation, being recovered doesn't mean it doesn't rear its head at times. What it means is, is that I or those overcoming it like you or who can move through it have the ability to not let it stop us, have the ability to not let us, not let it derail us from what we want to do or keep us stuck too often or fall into self-sabotaging patterns. So I just want to make it really clear for the audience that some of us can eliminate perfectionist tendencies entirely. We absolutely can. It comes down to who you are, your personality, your environment, those sorts of things. And some of us, because of the stages we're stepping on, whether they're real stages or metaphoric stages, are going to experience it more often or that sort of burning perfectionist inside you is going to try and rear its head. And what's important is that we understand it so it doesn't derail us. It may pop up, but we want to be able to catch it and go, right, I'm fixating on this, I'm trying to be perfect. And, uh, and I need to move through that. So I just wanted to highlight that because no matter what bucket, whoever is listening to, no matter how you gender identify is listening to this, you may eliminate perfectionism entirely, or you may just grab a really good control of it. I say either side is a win. So Definitely. just a, 
just to put that out there. And back to your original question. So perfectionism itself or perfectionist tendencies, as I like to say, is simply fear masquerading as excellence or fear masquerading as high performance. Because when we are fixated on perfect, it means that we are trying to deliver or be flawless. We're trying to avoid making whatever we perceive as a mistake. We are looking for what is considered a perfect, sensational, the best of the best result. And it is an unrealistic standard or unrealistic measure of ourselves as a human being, of our job or whatever we're doing across the arts, you know, comedy, um, art, acting, whatever your creative field may be. And I know there's many, right? So, and often we're trying to control that outcome because we are fearful of not being good enough or we are fearful of failing or there is an underlying fear that drives the expression or the the view of what it means to be perfect. So I say it's simply fear masquerading as excellence because if you are trying to be perfect, you are trying to be perfect because you are fearful of something. Working out what the fear of is the important thing. And for many of us, to the other part of your question, who are experiencing imposter syndrome, which is an underlying feeling that we're going to be exposed as an intellectual fake, phony or fraud, despite evidence of our competence, talent, intelligence, and those sorts of things. So we, as those of us who experience imposter syndrome, can be prone to becoming a perfectionist as a self-sabotaging behaviour because we're so fearful that people might find out in inverted commas that we're a fraud or that we're not really good enough or qualified. So we hide behind a shield of perfectionism and say, well, if I'm just perfect, if I nail this project or if I nail this gig or whatever it may be, nobody will ever find out (laughs) that I'm actually a fraud and I'm fooling them. So that's how it ties into imposter syndrome, but it can be a standalone experience as well. Um, and the nuance of it in your in this creative field or the space that you're in, Hannah, and probably most of, if not all of the listeners are, is that it's always an unrealistic measure of ourselves and our competence, perfectionism. But when you are in the creative or the arts field and the fields that you're in, your performance is so subjective because it's based on the audience and their feelings and emotions, position, location, graphics, all of these things around at that time. It's based on critics, maybe choosing or assessing. So there's all these different things that are in play within the creative fields that makes it almost impossible to be perfect because there's always going to be someone who says, ah, no, no, I don't think so, right? Or the one audience member that you don't get a laugh out of or whatever it is. So when you're in a different field, such as, and I I think it's important to bring this up because perfection does exist. For example, if you are a gymnast, if you are an ice skater, if you are an Olympic diver, if you are somebody who is in a position where you can get A plus on a test or 100 out of 100 in whatever you're doing, that is considered a perfect score. If you're a gymnast and you get a 10.0 on an apparatus, that is considered a perfect score. 
So there are these exceptions, right, which you can see where striving for perfection and getting a scorecard or a result that literally is defined as perfect exists. But in these creative fields and the spaces that you're in and that we're going to talk about today, it's almost impossible to have a measure of perfection to start with. So if we're chasing it, we're already setting ourselves up for failure before we've even started. And that, of course, is a real danger to our performance, to our mental health, to our thought patterns and behaviours. So I know that was a longer way to answer your question, but I feel like at the beginning of a, of a conversation like this, it's really important to give everybody those different contexts because Definitely. context is everything, right? When it comes to talking about these topics, it's so big. None of us are the same. So as individuals, you know, even if I was a comedian myself and you and I were going to step on the stage and literally deliver the same material, just stay with me for a second, how mm -hmm. Hannah's going to deliver it to how Alison's going to deliver it is going to be completely different. How the audience perceives us is going to be different because we're different, even if we're literally saying the same thing or trying to get laughs in the same areas, the delivery will not be the same. So there is so much subjective views and opinions and critics in the creative sector and so we need to release perfectionism really quickly otherwise you're all going to have many many unhappy moments when you actually shouldn't be unhappy you should be patting yourself on the back for the courage and confidence that you're displaying that's absolutely right it's so true because that does happen like you can have like really quite a good gig but you might see like one or two people you didn't quite get them and then you start to think ah. Oh, it was okay. Like I didn't quite get there. Like I've got so much more work to do instead of kind of reflecting on the fact of how far you come, how well you've done yeah, and, how, and how each person's interpretation of what you've created is, um, is going to be different. And also sometimes like that interpretation is, is a good thing in and of itself. It's like when you go see a painting and some person loves it and the other person hates it. And then yes. you're kind of like, <laughs> why do you hate it? Like, what's that doing to you? Why is it making you feel like that? Yeah. Yeah. And back to, you're right. And back to the, that essence of say, you've got a hundred people in the audience and 99% loved it. And there's the one person who, for whatever reason, didn't, that really comes back to the crux of perfectionism is that if you are a perfectionist, and you literally have 99 people in your audience go, I love it, Hannah, or I love the artwork or whatever it is. A perfectionist will always fixate on the one person. Yeah. Always. Your focus, your thoughts, the after effect behaviors, the impacts on, on, on mental health, overthinking and those sorts of things will always go to the one percenter if you are a perfectionist or if you're currently stuck in the perfectionist cycle. Whereas when you are coming out of perfectionism or when you have removed that sort of high, you know, unrelenting, awful standard that you're trying to hold yourself to that can never be reached, that sort of self-sabotaging view of perfectionism, you will come out of that same gig um, or, you know, review of your artwork or whatever it may be to whoever's listening and you will say, gosh, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled that 99 percent of people or whatever loved it or that's a win I'm going to bank that that's excellent yes I can't please everyone so the dialogue and the way that you speak to yourself and what you focus on is very different when you are stuck in perfectionism because perfectionism is all about a hundred percent or nothing yeah so the one micro thing that misses the one critic that doesn't like it the one audience member you know whatever the context is is where your mind goes when we are stuck in perfectionism and then if it's linked to imposter syndrome induced 
perfectionism. You feel like if you make even the most minute mistake, you'll finally be exposed as the fraud you believe yourself to be because you already feel like you're fooling everyone when you have imposter syndrome. So you feel like if it's not perfect, they will know. And that is an unrelenting pressure um, and standard to keep up to, which isn't reality. Right. You're stuck. You're stuck in a false sense of reality when it comes to perfectionism, which is something I wanted to share because it's a shield. We are using perfectionism as a coping strategy to try and protect ourselves from something. And usually the something is a fear that we're holding, a fear of not being good enough, a fear of making a mistake, a fear of never living up to the expectations someone has on us. Um, or a fear of not repeat, a fear of not being able to repeat an amazing performance. So a lot of people that I speak to across the creative spectrum, even when you're doing work and you nail a gig, or you're invited back for a second year to the Melbourne Comedy Festival, or you've produced a painting that has been, you know, critically acclaimed. In comes then the fear of thinking, how will I repeat that performance? How will I keep that standard of accolade or audience love or whatever it is? And so we feel like I've got to be perfect. I've got to go back into the perfect way. So it really starts to take over our view of reality. It skews our per perception of what our competence means, of what success looks like, of how we should be as a person, right? how we should show up, how we should look what we should do. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, my advocacy of women and gender diverse individuals is because traditionally, and I know we'll probably cover this somewhere in this chat, is that girls have been, just speaking about girls for a moment, that one core gender, are traditionally conditioned to be perfect, but boys are not. So perfectionism really stems from a lot of conditioning and messages in messages that are sent to women who, who were girls or, you know, those of us growing up who are gender diverse individuals, because all of a sudden from a very young age, it's thrust in our face that we do not fit the perfect mould. Mm. Now, the perfect mould is, can I, can I swear on this podcast? The perfect Absolutely. Mold, <laughs> the perfect mould is bullshit, right? It's a, it's an outdated you know, gender expectation and stereotype that needs to be left well into the past. But unfortunately, it still carries over. So the roots of perfectionism are deep in us. It's not a quick fix. However, once you focus on it and take the steps like you're doing, you can see incremental great improvements very, very quickly. You just got to be focusing on the right action. Absolutely. It takes a lot of patience and awareness to do it as well. And even that, like, even in trying to overcome perfectionism, you have to try and not try and put your perfectionism on trying to overcome the perfectionism yes. in this weird thing. Like, <laughs> I was doing so good and then I fell off. I'm not good at anything. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so true. I, could, I couldn't agree more because it, it, stay, it stays with you. And, and letting, learning to let go, and I speak now from personal experience as well because just for everyone listening, my I suffered imposter syndrome for a huge part of my life, which is what led me to become an expert in that topic. From being having imposter syndrome, my key self-sabotaging behavior was perfectionism. And it was a very toxic cycle, which took a huge impact on my mental and physical health. And I write about that, you know, in my work, and you can all check that out after you've listened to this podcast, if you're interested, but it is a very, very unrelenting cycle which takes its toll mentally physically and emotionally because you're never living up to your own expectations but here's the catch as well even if 
even if you are to get a perfect result, whatever perfect means to you, if you're stuck in toxic perfectionism, what happens is, is you discount the result anyway, <laughs> because you tell yourself, this is where the language goes to, your internal dialogue becomes, well, yeah, you should have reached it. In fact, you should have set the bar higher. You didn't set it high enough. You should have done better. So the other catch of perfectionism is even if you hit it, if it's toxic perfectionism, self-sabotaging perfectionism, you won't be satisfied anyway. You will discount it. You will push it away. And that's, you know, the real sort of stickler of it is we feel like if we get the perfect gig or the perfect feedback or the perfect critic or the perfect award, you're at the top award that you want to win in your industry, whatever it may be, that will go tick, I've been perfect. But a lot of you will find that you'll get there and you won't internalize it anyway. In fact, you'll berate yourself still and you stay in the cycle of perfectionism. Super important to bust out of that cycle because it's a one-way ticket to burnout and a one-way ticket of never being happy or satisfied with the incredible work that you're doing, the talent that you show, the contribution you're making to your industry. It will rob you from all of that if we don't learn to move through it or eliminate it entirely. I'm so glad you said that because that's absolutely true. I know that even with a few things that I've done, when I've done really, really well and I should be proud of it and I should just be happy and at peace, I've just kind of gone, well, it was only because of this and this and this that you were able to do it. So it's not really you and you probably won't be able to do it again. So work mm-hmm. even harder. And I'm like, like the work harder, not smarter mm-hmm. is an amazing thing to think about. But I, it took it's taken me ages to try and do it. And even now I still sort of find that if I've had a really good experience, I can get stuck in that cycle like you just described. And then I have to have someone close to me, like external from me to feed it back to me to go, hang on a second, pull back. You actually did really well at this. Why don't you like sit in that for a minute and appreciate that and then use it right. as momentum to go for like go forward. Yes. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So really couldn't important. have said I agree. Couldn't have said it better and love that solution and speaking to somebody. And because it, it can be something that creeps up a lot, especially for those of us that are high performers or care about what we're doing or stepping onto the stage and those sorts of things, because we are always critiquing our own performance. Yeah. So, you know, as a speaker, I and you know, you're someone who steps on stages and and as well, as well as a lot of people who are listening to this, is that we already are our own critics. Now, what we want to be, it's okay to be your own critic. We don't want to be our own worst critic because evaluating our own performance, evaluating what we just did is an essential piece to success. Because as you know, we don't always step on the stage and, you know, quote, unquote, nail it. Now, the audience might not realise that, but we know because perhaps we're not feeling well. Perhaps we've just had something horrible happen in our personal life that we've had to suck up and get on that stage and put on our show business face or whatever it may be, turn up to the event, you know, release the the creative product or whatever it is. So there's always, we're human beings, we're three-dimensional. So there are times when we perform and we don't, we as an individual don't feel like we have delivered our best performance. And I want people to understand that that's okay. Critiquing yourself is valuable. In fact, it's essential for success, having that self-awareness. But what we don't want to be is our own worst critic, to your point. We don't want to fall into that trap where, and I love how you sort of caught yourself and went, oh, hang on, my dialogue's sort of starting to pull. And and then you went and spoke to somebody that you trust and you were able to have that conversation. And I think that's an excellent thing to do because when we start falling into the, the worst critic, we just want to catch that. 
right? We want to be, we want critic, but we want, we want to, we want to evaluate our own performance. We want to critique it. I critique myself all the time, but we want to demonstrate self-compassion. Yes. We don't, we don't want to berate ourselves because here's the thing that our brain is always listening. So what you tell yourself, how you speak to yourself, your brain holds on to. Like this is the real science behind it. And it's deeper than your thought patterns because you're it gets ingrained into your brain, which impacts your ongoing thoughts and your behaviors. So catching that talk, going, oh, I'm slipping into the worst critic here. I need to stop. I need to call someone. I need to go journal. I need to just snap myself out of this right now is very valuable because as we start to slip into the worst critic, it'll start to take over because it will induce more negative thinking patterns. And our brain is already wired to a negativity bias. So if we feed it negative, our <laughs> brain will latch onto that. Like it becomes Teflon, right? Some of yeah. you might've heard that quote, that our brain really is it's like Teflon, right? For, for negativity. So I think great tip and tool that you shared there. I love that. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, like I, I will talk about like steps to overcome it a little bit more soon as well. But another thing that I've found in I'm sure you've probably spoken about this too, is I try and separate things to be what is something I can genuinely work on and what is something that was like a variable that I'm like not in control of. So like you said, like where there was like a really bad day, like I wasn't really in control of that. What I am in control of is having better self-care like before I go on a stage or before I do anything. So then instead of being sort of um, disempowered by it, I go, okay, cool. I know that for next time, that if something like this happens, I can do this and therefore I'll have, create a better outcome. So kind of using it as a tool. Love it. Yep. Couldn't, yeah. couldn't agree more. And also we're in control of our own self-talk. Yes. And, and so even if somebody else is uh, critiquing us or even if an audience member is saying something nasty, right. Or we get some comment on social media or a critique on our work on whatever forum we're talking about, we can't control what the other person is saying, but we can control what we say to ourselves. And what we say to ourselves is fundamentally one of the most powerful things we should all get a handle on and control because back to that self-talk and it's not about oh, just giving yourself a pep talk all the time. We can call it whatever, whatever we want, but it works. The science tells us it works. How you speak to yourself matters and the language that you use matters. And so I agree. And I just dropping that in there because you said about controlling the controllables, which I love. We can control our self-talk. Mm -hmm. we, we might have an automatic negative thought, which is very common when we're in self-sabotage or in imposter syndromes. Our thoughts just start taking over. But when the thought enters our mind, if we just concentrate on listening to that, but changing our self-talk so we don't berate ourselves, that is also a really critical step to immediately changing the space that you're in. So um, self-talk is something we can control. A lot of us, when we're stuck in perfectionism, we've got that automatic negative thought running out of mind, do better, you need to do better, they'll all know you're this, but, but we need to tell ourselves a better story because that's something that we can control. And once we repeat it to ourselves several times, our brain will start to believe it. And that is a profound shift, such as, just quickly, there's no such thing as perfectionism seems like a really basic, simple statement. And people who are listening to this might go, really, Alison, that's what you, we want us to say, <laughs> to say to each other. But in your sectors, in this creative sphere, there is no such thing as perfection because it will always be subjective to certain voices, audiences, critics, online trolls, um, everyone and anyone out there, right? Because even yeah. if you win an industry award or even if you're on a stage at 
the best of the best of whatever your industry is. That doesn't guarantee perfectionism. That's not considered perfect. There'll always be a subjective view. There'll always be another stage. There's another award. There's there's another art show. There's this or that. So the best thing you can all tell yourselves, and this goes for a lot of industries, is there is no such thing as perfection. So I need to define what it means to be confident, uh, competent, I beg your pardon, and successful in a way that's actually measurable or that I can you know, deliver on and articulate and know is enough. We need to find our good enough metric and then refine and adapt that in whatever your craft is. Definitely, definitely. And, and I think um, probably part of that comes from finding the joy in exactly what you're doing instead of searching for outcomes. It's like that, you know, that old saying of like, it's the journey, not the destination, but like putting it in real time. It's like actually, you know, for me doing comedy and I'm sure for you speaking, it's like you got to enjoy like the people you're with in that moment and not always be so focused on the outcome because you'll constantly chase outcomes that because perfection doesn't exist, you'll just constantly be chasing up to something that you'll never get to. Yeah, agreed. Love that. So how important is it do you think to understand where perfectionism, like your own perfectionism comes from? Like, do you think that's an important tool to understand? So therefore you can dismantle it from the inside and overcome it? Absolutely. Yeah. Without question, we must know the source. So similar to imposter syndrome. And when I'm working on that, the source of why you're experiencing imposter syndrome and where it started, which for imposter syndrome often stems in our childhood or adolescent years, And same when it comes to just perfectionism, whether it's attached to imposter syndrome or you're just having a moment of perfectionism for a different different reason. Um, And I'll circle back to that in a moment because there are different layers of of perfectionism. There are different ways in which it shows up. Um, So, and I'll, I'll come to that in a second for you. But back to your question, understanding why we are experiencing something and where it started is critical because if it has been a long time, so if you have been a perfectionist for a long time, that means it is incredibly ingrained into your thought patterns, but more importantly, your behavioral patterns, because how you're behaving, how you're acting, how you're speaking, what you're delivering. If perfectionism is driving that and has been driving it for a long time, it's become habitual. So overcoming perfectionism and also imposter syndrome, feelings and experiences is about breaking habitual self-sabotaging patterns. We must redirect that behavior. And like any habit where you're trying to get into the habit, i.e. going to the gym regularly or practicing, you know, speaking out loud regularly or whatever, we have to do it consistently. And we have to build ourselves into the habit before it becomes automated and we just get up and we just do it or we just factor it into every day. But if we have a bad habit, and let's face it, all of us have a bad habit (laughs) in some way, shape or form, as you know, when we want to get rid of that bad habit or we want to take better control of that bad habit, we need to replace it with something else or we need to train ourselves out of it. And so, and that, that takes time. And so why you need to know the origin is because has somebody been a perfectionist for, so for example, let me use you, Hannah, as an example. Let's just say you didn't have perfectionist tendencies your whole life, right? And and two years ago, three years ago, whenever it was, and you decided, right, I'm going to step into comedy, the perfectionism showed up. Yeah, Having that for a year, two years, three years is different from me coming in and saying, I've been a perfectionist since I was a young girl. And I carried that through my life and it became the self-sabotaging behavior that manifested into imposter syndrome when I was in my early 20s. And that has caused me to do all kinds of other self-sabotage. 
So can you see just contextually those two different stories? If I've been a perfectionist for 25 years and somebody else has had perfectionist tendencies for two years, although we're going to do some of the same tips and tools to navigate through it, the pattern is less ingrained in the two-year person than it is in someone who's had 25 years. So that's why it's important to understand where it comes from. And we do that just by simply asking ourselves, having a quiet moment, journaling it down and saying, well, where do I feel this sort of feeling or, or behavior started to surface? Where was I? Who was there? Who said something? What happened? There's always a context or a story around that. And understanding that is really important because it sort of identifies that, okay, this is not not all in my head. I'm ha I've got this fear which is driving me to perfectionism for a particular reason and you need to unpack that fear. We need to just pull back the layers of, of, of that fear until we get to the crux of it and same if it is attached to your imposter syndrome because imposter syndrome at its very core is a belief that you hold, that you're not good enough, worthy enough, talented enough, capable enough, despite evidence of the contrary. So imposter syndrome is tied to our belief system. You can't just click your fingers and get rid of it because it's deeply ingrained in your belief system, who you believe you are and are not before you even get to the behaviour. So it's super important that you all understand where you're perfectionist, uh, regardless of how you gender identify, that you understand the origin of your perfectionism so you know how long it's been in your life what's driving it and then we can get to the tools to overcome it um, on that as well why it's really important is because when we talk about perfectionism from a uh, research point of view or from a data point of view just getting into the weeds for a moment a study was done or a piece of research was done in the 1990s by two male psychologists and in this study, and this is in the link, Hannah, I've given you, I think, mm -hmm. in my article for the show notes. If anyone's interested in reading this, you can click the link that, that Hannah is going to have for you and, and go read it yourself. But essentially, they these two psychologists, um, Dr. Paul Hewitt, Hewitt and Gordon Flett, determined that there are three levels of perfectionism or sort of three phases. And the first phase is what's called self-orientated perfectionism. So this is when you have high expectations on yourself. It is that perfectionist lens on yourself and how you perform. And then there is other orientated perfectionism, which means you, the individual, put perfectionist views or tendencies on other people around you, such as expecting your partner or your parent to be perfect or your friends to be perfect. So you're pushing the perfection lens on them as well. And then the third tier is socially prescribed perfectionism. This is when you believe that others have expectations on you to be perfect. And sometimes this belief can be true. For example, you may have a manager or a talent agent or a parent or a boss, depending on what industry, you know, across the creative world that you're in, that expects you to be perfect. So you believe that they have that expectation on you. And sometimes they do. Sometimes your belief is right. They're wanting, they're wanting you to be perfect. They're wanting you to not make a mistake. And I see this show up in a lot of my work all the time from managers, from um, other people that are in people's lives. And that can fuel your own perfectionism where if you're already feeling or battling with perfectionism and imagine someone comes along and says, you need to do better. You need to be perfect. You need to up your game. It's a very vicious cycle. So there's those three levels of perfectionism um, and everyone can go away beyond this if you want to read, read more on that and that research. But so it's important to understand the origin for you and it's important to understand how it's showing up 
And it is, is it in across all three of those brackets? Is it just in one, like, like self-orientated? You're just fixated on it yourself yep. because it's not one dimensional, which is what I like to share in my work in perfectionism, my work with imposter syndrome. It's not one dimensional. It can't be covered in one conversation or one sentence or one coaching session or one keynote talk. And that's precisely why this is my full-time job <laughs> talking <laughs> yeah. about talking about these things. And again, thanks for creating a space. I wanted to drop those in. If people are interested, you can look, look up those layers. I've given an article, I know, Hannah, to you that you might be able to share, which sort of encompasses those into Absolutely. something I've written. And it's just a great piece of content so people can start to think about it of how it's showing up for you. Because my journey with perfectionism, Hannah, is very different to yours, but they're both valid and they're both real and they've both self-sabotaged us and we've both had to work through them. So find your unique journey, understand how and why it's showing up, how that's directly impacting your behaviours, and then we're sort of three quarters of the way through of moving through it because context is important. Definitely. And I really appreciate you mentioning as well that it can come from like being an adult and people like your your managers, your bosses and those sorts of environments creating that as well. Because I know you've mentioned in your work some workplace bullying. I myself was already a perfectionist, but I was kind of existing underneath its thumb, kind of still creating and trying to overcome it. But then I ended up in a workplace where I experienced severe uh, bullying, which then created the layers upon layers upon layers upon perfectionism. And it took me years to get over. Like I stopped creating entirely because I was like, mm. I'm terrible at this. I will never amount to anything. It's been proven and said to me that I'm not good enough. So therefore I should stop, which then created its own thing where I got stuck under the perfectionism. And then because I wasn't doing the thing that brought me joy or any, um, like I wasn't getting any catharticism from anything I was creating or trying to do that kind of put my mental health down further and further. It just ended up in this vicious spiral, which took mm -hmm. so long to come out of because I couldn't vocalize it. And I didn't really know a lot of people who had experienced a lot of like any like workplace bullying or those sorts of environments that were open to talking about it and kind of mm -hmm. finding unity and being like, I have experienced this. And, you know, as human beings, we're still kind of learning how to exists in either a corporate world, whatever world you're in, but where we have to act as like this tribe seeking a, a combined goal that we're all aiming for. And sometimes, sometimes it can be that the person who's bullying you doesn't even really understand that that's what they're doing. Other times it is, but either way, mm -hmm. it doesn't stop the fact that as an adult, you can kind of end up taking on these, these issues. And cause I think there's a lot of chat always about it being like your childhood trauma, but you know, it's good and important to notice that it does it can happen as as when you're an adult. And Agreed. because and, and it's a positive thing in the sense that because it's so recent, like you mentioned earlier, it means that the if you get onto it quick enough, then the ingraining of that problem can be diminished if you act upon it quickly. Yes, couldn't agree more. And also, and that's why I loved, I defined earlier saying that if your journey, you know, is from childhood to your point, or if it's just two years ago as an adult, yes, the journeys are very different because also if something happens to you as a child or in critical development ages, it forms a part of your identity. Yeah, It's, it, it's stamped in your identity, your beliefs, your brain patterns, right? Very different than if you experience something as an adult, because as an adult, you're grown, you're past the critical development periods. Yes, it can still have influence and impact, but it's very, very different. So yes, yeah, so I appreciate you circling back to that as well, as well, because you're right, that it could come from here, it could come from there. What's What matters is we understand for you, the individual, where it comes from. And to your point, what external circumstances um, have contributed 
to that. So like workplace bullying, which, and I see a lot of that. And, and firstly, I'm very sorry to hear that you've been through that. And I, in my work, coaching individuals and just all of the organizational work that I do, um, bullying plays a big role in, of course, causing people to self-sabotage, triggering things like imposter syndrome or just perfectionist tendencies, whether they're attached to imposter syndrome or standalone, because bullying berates us, puts us down, makes us feel awful. It's then is It can be a form of manipulation as well. It forces us to get in our own heads, question ourselves. It's very confronting because it's in an environment that we are working in or having to be in. So we we can struggle to create boundaries and rightfully so because we don't have all the control. And so, we, yes, we can control the controllables, but there's so much coming in at us, like walking into the flame that we can't control. So it's very, very hard. And bullying full stop is, is very confronting and very hard to deal with, and especially when it's coming from people in positions of power. Because traditionally across the creative, you know, I'm speaking sort of at a macro level here, but across the mm -hmm. creative spectrum, bullying can be rife in different ways because you can be at the mercy of someone who has a lot of power in your industry or the ability to put you on stage or block you from getting on a stage. No matter how good you are, if that person holds the power, they can traditionally stall your career or and those sorts of and if that person is a bully and we've seen that recently with things that have gone on right through Hollywood mm -hmm. and powerful people around the world that are tied to the creative industry just how powerful these bullies can be and some of them are abusers as well it's fine bullying is a form of abuse in its yeah. own right and then some of it has gone on to lead to other horrible physical emotional and, and sexual abuse and all sorts of things that have that have been going on out there so it's important to recognize if you believe you're being bullied, it's important to speak to somebody that you trust and it's important to understand that are you able to create some sort of boundary between you and the bully? If so, how can we do that? And if not, how do we protect you whilst you remain in that space? And so we can protect you by, yes, understanding how it's um, triggering your perfectionist tendencies making sure we're focusing on what we can control, which is our self, our self-care, who we're talking to, seeking help, um, documenting these things and, and really looking at that evidence as opposed to falling in the trap of self-blame, falling into the trap of believing what this bully is saying, although, you know, it, it can very easily happen because we're in it all the time. But, yes, it's important to note that is it an environmental circumstance that is sort of triggering or keeping your perfectionism alive, such as bullying, or is it that you are stepped into a new forum, i.e. comedy, just again, using this as, and it's just doing something new and all of a sudden being in front of a live audience and has made you question yourself and your ability. So understanding the context of you, the individual, how perfectionism is showing up for you, how it's being triggered for you, and just jotting down, you know, journaling down. I'm a big advocate, and I say to my clients all the time, of getting, you know, probably all of you across the creative space would like this as well, but, you know, getting your white, getting your whiteboard, getting your tools, getting your, like, post-it notes, whatever creative outlet you want, painting on a wall, right, whatever works for you, but getting all of this down in a brain dump, literally putting perfectionism, like, at the centre and doing this sketch of how is it showing up for me? Who's involved? What is the timeline? What we need to do is get out of our own heads and actually down onto paper or into some sort of creative outlet to get it out so then we can analyze it. 
Because when we start to write things down, when we start to verbalize, we see them from a different perspective. And we start to go back to your bullying point. Oh my goodness, I know through getting all of this down, yes, there's some self-work I need to do to work on the perfectionism, but it's not my fault. It's not my fault I'm being triggered. It's not my fault I'm going through this stuff. It's this person. And it helps you disassociate from the self-blame. What we, you know, we we don't, we don't want to just fall into a trap of blaming ourselves for everything because we are a product of what's happening around us as well. And if you have perfectionism from childhood, like I did, there are so many things that happened to me that were out of my control and they sucked and it wasn't my fault that they happened to me, but I did have to take control of the self-work required to get me out of toxic perfectionism because blaming my mother for what she did and blaming the other trauma that I went through didn't get me the result. I had to work through those things and seek help for those things and acknowledge those things and acknowledge the path that they played, but I still had to do the self-work. And it's the same on the bullying side. It's not your fault. The bullying is disgusting. It's grotesque. We want to try and remove ourselves from it. But if we can't, we need to put in strategies to protect us and also to allow us to work on overcoming the perfectionist tendencies in a way that is conducive to our life, to how we've got to turn up and to reaffirm to ourselves that, you know, if it is bullying in this case, that the problem is the other person. It's not us. We are a victim slash survivor of what that, you know, bully is doing. And we need to ensure that we protect ourselves um, and create, create that distance. But it plays, it plays a big part, Hannah, across your sectors and the creative outlets. And it plays a big part bullying um, across the corporate sectors that, that I also work in. Um, And it's, it's rife, unfortunately. I don't, you know, I don't like to say that. But it is still rife. There are bullies sitting in positions of power and it's very difficult for a lot of us to be able to navigate that. And as I said, it sucks, it's unfair, it's unjust. And sometimes we can do something about it and other times our only choice is to protect ourselves and get out of the way because self-preservation is first and foremost the most paramount because we don't, you know, if we continue to fall, if we continue to crash, if we continue to be stuck in perfectionism, it will de- derail the rest of our life and career, even if we move away from that bully. Even Definitely. if we step into positive environments, we will carry the perfectionism. So we need to deal with it. Absolutely. I can speak to that like myself. That's exactly what happened. I took it on and then carried it for like four years and it just showed up in every way possible. So yeah, it's really important. So on that note, what are some what are some tools to to begin the process? So obviously finding out the why and journaling it down. Let's just say someone has taken that advice and they've written it down. They've written it, you know, probably for a couple of days trying to investigate, investigate further. What what are some other steps to take towards overcoming this one? Because I know obviously, um, like I mentioned what I did, which is I learned from just jumping into the deep end because I don't know, I'm like very stoic in my thinking. So I was like, cool, <laughs> perfectionism. I never put my work out there because I'm horrified. Okay, what if it's stand-up comedy because I have no choice but I have to get up on the stage and I just have to get it out, which works for me, but that's mm-hmm. also quite brutalistic. So that's not really going to work for everyone. So what what are some tools we can use? Yeah, sure. Well, firstly, I love your approach and that and that works. And I'm actually very similar to you in that sense. Yeah. And, and, and I think when we've spoken before, so to anyone listening to this, if 
overcoming let me let me just take a step back for a second so overcoming perfectionism starts with two things firstly telling yourself that there is no such thing as perfection in your creative realm sector whatever it is that you might be in because always going to be subjective but what you need to do is come up with what your good enough metric is and it could be metrics so for example if you're getting on the comedy stage or doing a gig what is your good enough metric for that gig? And is it just that gig or is it every gig? Or do you have a different good enough metric when you go, you know, step on the Melbourne Comedy Festival versus if you're just touring around the country? Not for any particular reason other than they're just different, which is okay. So we need to come up with our good enough metrics. What is going to make us, to your point, and you said this wonderfully earlier, is what's going to make us feel good, feel like we have delivered value or done our job? and done it at a good enough level to be able to move on once that job, gig, show is done. So we need to sit down and we need to unpack that. What is good enough? What is going to allow you to move on and let it go? And you might be, you might have to sit on that exercise for a while because especially when you're a perfectionist, you might say, well, only thing good enough is, 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 is being perfect. But I want you to all release that right now because it's just not possible. And, and that is the reality. We think that people, you know, when you have perfectionism, you think that somebody wants you to be perfect, but it's not. It's coming from within. The audience is not expecting perfection, right? It's what we're telling ourselves. And everyone's got a different view of what a perfect gig is anyway, whatever it may be across the creative or arts field. So we need to come up with good enough metrics and we need to start by telling ourselves that perfection doesn't exist in your sector. Now, however you want to say that to yourself, simply might say, Perfection doesn't exist. I need a new metric. It could be a different sort of piece of language you want to tell yourself, but you need to tell yourself a different story because it will just keep you stuck. And then you have to come up with what is your good enough metric and you have to really commit to that for a period of time. So if I just do X good enough metric, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to promise myself I'm going to move on and I'm going to find an accountability buddy who's either with me that I can call, text, Instagram message, voice note, and he's going to be there just to reaffirm that with me because it's okay to have that help. We don't have to do this on our own. You might want to debrief with them. You might want to say, right, I'm going through my good enough metrics and just talking it out might help. So these are the two steps. The th then the next one is you need to take consistent action to putting those good enough metrics in play. So you need to do consistent gigs, you need to do some consistent writing or publish some consistent artwork or whatever it may be, step on some stages, because the only thing that will move you through perfectionism is incremental action aligned with your good enough metric, mm. because perfectionism keeps us stuck and it goes hand in hand with procrastination. <laughs> we fixate on getting every single detail of whatever it is that we're doing perfect. So we procrastinate, we procrastinate, we procrastinate, we get close to the deadline, we work ourselves, pull an all-nighter, and then may get some sort of result and it feeds this toxic cycle. Yeah. So the third part is we have to take consistent action and I recommend starting small toward that good enough metric. So is that consistent action booking yourself for gigs? Is it consistent action painting a piece of work or delivering a piece of written material or stepping up on some webinars or delivering meetings in your creative agency or whatever it is? But we need to take incremental steps to, you know, to, toward doing the action that we are scared of doing. And that incremental step is about exposure. Because back to your point, some of us need the incremental steps, get a little bit more exposed, a little bit more exposed, and the perfectionism will start to dissipate somewhat. 
Or you can do what you do and I do, which also works based on your personality, is we just go, I'm going to book that gig or I'm going to say yes to that opportunity and I, and we just jump in the fry pan. Yeah. So we do the sink or swim approach. And I like that you've brought that up because for, for people listening to this, they might go, yep, that's going to work for me. If I just commit to it and know I've got to turn up or step on that stage or deliver a piece of work by that day, it's going to get done. I might have a bit of a stressful first go at it, but I'm going to make it happen. Yeah. If that works for you, I highly recommend it because it's a way to take powerful action. If listening to that or listening to Hannah and I talk about this frightens the absolute Jesus <laughs> out of you, then do what I said before. Start with the incremental steps. What does that mean? Book a gig where there's not that many people in the audience. Do a piece of writing that is less of a critique than a, than a longer form content. Paint some different, you know, artworks or whatever it is or deliver a different creative project that's going to allow you to incrementally creep to your objective. So start small because then we get that exposure and once we do a little bit of it, we go, oh, that wasn't that bad. Oh, my good enough metric was okay. And we practice because what we're doing is redirecting a negative behavioral pat pattern, perfectionism or perfectionist mm -hmm. tendencies, and we are replacing it with new confident action. So we are literally training our brain out of doing, end quote, a perfect action or fixating or being stuck in procrastination because it's not perfect and all of the negative, you know, cycle that comes with that into taking action. When we take consistent action, it immediately makes us feel better. It's directly linked to feeling more confident or becoming more confident because you're taking action and it will get you closer to the objective. And that's really the start of overcoming perfectionism, the start. And it's, I'm st sticking on that for you right now for this podcast, because that is the most crucial step. To anyone listening to this, outside of those steps and starting to unpack your own perfectionism, I wouldn't even worry about what comes next. Because if you don't get these stop these these stepping stones at the beginning, if we don't start to tell ourselves that in your sectors perfectionism doesn't exist, it's always going to be subjective. There's always going to be critics. There's always going to be keyboard warriors. There's always going to be the idiot in the crowd that you know really is an idiot and he's playing up at your shows and just wants to make it difficult for you or a heckler. Like there's always going to be those in whatever sphere you're in you're not going to get a perfect scenario so it's about the good enough metric it's about finding the joy and the value in what you did which you said so beautifully earlier and it's about reaffirming ourselves from the inside out because overcoming perfectionism how you know you've got it completely under control is when you can say to yourself okay two things that was good enough I'm happy, I can move on to my next gig, next this, next that. Or when you go, that wasn't my best effort. So you can critique yourself fairly and go, I didn't feel like I nailed that, but that's okay. Because I ticked my good enough metrics, audience got some value, I hit my good enough objective and I can move on. They're the two angles of when you know you've overcome perfectionism. You don't have to feel like you've nailed it all the time or whatever to have overcome perfectionism. It's when you can critique yourself without being your worst critic. It's when you can evaluate yourself without berating yourself is when you know you have overcome or at least have control of your perfectionism. And the opposite is true. If you, if you feel you're slipping into that, then you know the perfectionism has a hold on you, right? So understand the model that works for you. Is it sink or swim? I'm a fan of that, works for me, but it frightens the crap out of other people. Don't do it. If it frightens, if what Hannah and I do 
doesn't suit you, don't do it because all it would do is evoke anxiety and tip you over the edge. If you prefer the incremental exposure, defining the good enough metric, making sure you're taking action toward the good enough metric and then move the goalposts as as you want, change the good enough metrics, swap them out as you get more experienced or you're doing more of what you want and make sure you sit in that and say, good enough there, done that job, tick, I can move on. Because the, the underlying factor here is action. Perfectionism keeps you stuck. It's heavily linked to procrastination because you are fearful of making a mistake. You are fearful of not being perfect. You're fearful of not being flawless. You're fearful of getting the 1%, the one person in the crowd going, oh, it sucked instead. And, you know, and even if there's 99% loving you to death, right? So we've got to do the incremental action to overcome perfectionism and they are the starting points. And then, as I said, the article, Hannah, I've passed on to you that that brings into that perfectionism research and some other views, highly recommend, even though I'm plugging my own article here, but no, highly great. recommend <laughs> highly recommend you guys have a look at Hannah, wherever you're going to put that because that gives you great insight into perfectionism. And, and I like to say, and I say it in this article, not just quickly, is that I always like to ask the question, is your perfectionism serving you? or sabotaging you. And I say that because two things. If somebody says, no, Ali, I think it's serving me because the objective that I'm, what I'm trying to do, I can get a A plus on, or I can get a 10 out of 10, or I can win a Critics' Choice Award. And if I do those things, to me, that is a perfect result. If they genuinely mean that, and they can genuinely get a measurable result that they deem as perfect, then it's, they could be serving you because it's used as motivation. But when they get to that, they win the award, they get the A+, they have to feel that they deserve it. They have to accept it. That's when we know it's serving us because like, yes, I nailed that. I won the award. I feel amazing. Boom, perfect result. That's a way, that's a way it can serve you and it can be still relatively healthy. But it's sabotaging you when it's doing all of the other things we've spoken about in this podcast. And it's sabotaging you when even if you get what you want, you're still not happy anyway. You're still pushing yourself to You're still berating yourself. That's when we know it's unhealthy perfectionism because no matter what you get, how high you go, how many stages you step on, if you're still berating yourself, if you're still saying it should be perfect, if you're still negatively critiquing your performance to the point where you're bringing yourself down, then we know that it's got a hold of us. We know it's sabotaging us. So a great question for you all to walk away with is, is your perfectionism serving you or sabotaging you? And if it's sabotaging you, then you absolutely need to do the work, regardless of what causing it, of what's causing it. Because the only way to overcome perfectionism is to do the self-work. And the only way to overcome imposter syndrome, if it is linked to that, is to do the self-work. Yes, there are environmental factors. Yes, it's not our fault most of um, it's not our fault when we have imposter syndrome. And most of the time when we have perfectionist tendencies, it's not our fault, but it is our responsibility to do the self-work. And there are people out there who like to think that just by changing the environment, just by removing bullies, just by doing all these other things, those things are very important. They need to be looked at. They need to be addressed. They need to be removed. But that doesn't guarantee that we will stop being perfectionists because there's different conditioning, different messaging. We've all lived different lives. We've got different parents. We've been raised in different cultures. And some of them have seeded perfectionism in us, even if they didn't mean to do it which you touched on beautifully before. Sometimes they say something, they do something, we're exposed to something and the person didn't mean any malice by it, but it planted a seed. And the biggest one I want to leave you with is that statement of, which I'm sure you've all heard, is 
um, progress makes progress makes perfection or progress leads um, practice sorry not progress practice practice makes perfect that phrase practice makes perfect that's what we want to eliminate so that was said to us all in our childhood. I'm sure everyone who's listening to this can go, yes, when I was growing up, I heard that. Whether you're practicing tennis, whether you're practicing comedy, whether you're practicing painting, whether you're an actor, whether you do what I do, practice makes perfect. No, it doesn't. Yeah. Practice, practice makes you better. Unless, again, unless you're Simone Biles or a gymnast or a nice, somewhere where you can get a perfect 10.0 score, sure, practice can make perfect. But for the reality of us, 97% of us who do what we do, Practice will make you better. Practice will make you more accomplished. Practice will bring you greater success, potentially more money, potentially more this or that. But it won't make you perfect because you're, the, the goalposts will always move. So there's sayings like that from our past that perpetuate perfectionism and we want to remove those and pay attention to the language as well. Beautiful. I love that so much. It's such a wonderful way to end it. And I think it's, um, I know for me, I'll, I'll take that away in the sense of thinking, is my perfectionism being constructive or, or uh, destructive? Oh my gosh, I forgot the word. Constructive yeah. or destructive. So it's love like that. that sensation of feeling like, okay, I didn't get it, but now I feel like inspired to do it better next time. I'm going to do these things to move it in place using it as the motivating tool, like you just mentioned. Or if I start to feel small and like, even, notice my body language, even like I'm getting smaller, I want to talk to people, then it's being destructive and I need to do the self-work and journal on that or, you know, act upon that, speak about it with someone I trust. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And just do we have control of it or not? Because as a recovering perfectionist, uh, the thing I'll share with you all before I say goodbye is that it still comes up for me as well. There are still parts of my work, my presentation, what I do that I that I want to be perfect. But what I've done is in my good enough metrics, I have formed these good enough metrics that to me, if I hit them, I still feel like it's amazing. I still feel like, and even sometimes I still use language to myself as in, I felt that was perfect, but because I've got a different relationship with using the word perfect, because I've tied it to my good enough metrics. So I can go, that was, that was perfect in my view, or that was good enough in my view, because I've got control over it. And, you know, it's really important. So use a language that works for you, but make sure it's serving you, not sabotaging you to your point, make sure it's constructive, not destructive. And the language that we use is also very, very important, you know, on the journey to overcoming perfectionism. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about this. I'm really excited to bring this to people because I know it's definitely not just me and my network who feels this. And I think it's just something that's in the way of a lot of really great things that need to come into the world. So thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much for doing all the work that you're doing in it and being so like open and vulnerable about your experiences in it because even, you know, talking about those things can be quite um, conflicting. And did I say it perfectly? If I use the right language to not trigger someone else and it, you know, it creates its own other perfectionist sort of tendency. So I really appreciate what you're doing. Oh, no, likewise. And I just want to say to you before we say goodbyes, I think you're, you're brilliant and the work that you're doing and what you've brought to this conversation was so powerful, Hannah. So bravo to you. And even the way you're talking about perfectionism, overcoming it yourself, the tools and the knowledge you're sharing, is so beneficial. So I, I just want to stop and give you that sort of congratulations because it's so impressive what what you've been sharing, your own journey out of it and being able to share that journey and being able to step back into that arena time and time again is just a wonderful, you know, 
representation and also use case whether people want to jump you know jump into the fire or not but your consistent action the way that you're viewing it the way that you're analyzing it and now elevating the conversation you'll be helping so many people so thank you very much for that as well oh thank you so much i appreciate those words thank you so thank much allison i appreciate your time and yeah for everyone listening i'm gonna have all of Alison's information, um, you'll be able to contact her through the information below, her amazing article on perfectionism. And I do recommend reading all of her other work. It's absolutely fantastic. And um, just get that conversation going. So thank you so much for listening, guys. And remember to stay weird because being normal is really boring. Thanks for getting weird with me. If you liked the episode, please subscribe and leave a review. And if you really liked the episode, consider signing up to the Patreon where you can help me help you. You'll get early access, uncut episodes, bonus episodes, and some other cheeky extras that you'll have to check out. You can find it at patreon.com forward slash Hannah Sainty. Now let's be more creative and less strung out. And remember that you're weird because being normal is really boring.